0: WBEZ Chicago, It's This American Life. I'm Ira Glass. There's this kind of therapy for trauma, victims of sexual assault, soldiers with PTSD, where instead of taking years and talking and talking and talking on some couch to a therapist with no end in sight, you basically knock it out, all the treatment, in just 10 or 12 sessions. Two weeks. You can do it in two weeks. And it's effective. Studies have shown that. This therapy's been around since the 80s, but I think lots of people who might find it useful don't even know it's an option for them. Like, for instance, Jamie Lowe, who's a writer and reporter and a good candidate for this treatment.
1: I was sexually assaulted when I was 13, almost 30 years ago. And for most of those 30 years, I didn't really talk about it. Not because I didn't want to or need to, but because I didn't know how and no one asked.
0: Jamie Lowe decided to do a story where she would go through this therapy herself and record all the sessions which never happens like most therapy usually this treatment is in private not on the radio and hearing how it works it really is kind of remarkable my mom was a therapist i've been in therapy this is so different from what i have ever heard and that's going to be our show today we're going to hear it step by step this sometimes life-changing process and how that can happen so quickly A quick um, warning to listeners before we start about content. This story does mention the sexual assault of a teenager. Here's Jamie Lowe.
1: I thought because I didn't talk about the assault or even think about it much, everything was as resolved as it could be. But then, after Donald Trump and Grab Him by the Pussy and Harvey Weinstein and all of them, it's not that specific memories of the assault would pop up. I just felt immobilized, anxious protective of my body. And I realized my sexual assault wasn't resolved at all. Around this time, I heard about a therapy for sexual assault survivors called cognitive processing therapy, or CPT. A researcher described it to me as short-term, inexpensive, practical, like learning a skill. The typical way to deal with trauma in therapy is to talk about the incident over and over until it's less radioactive. CPT does the same thing, but in a systematized way. It's all laid out in advance, and the same for everyone, what you'll do in the first session, and the second, and the third, and so on. Each session is based on learning a skill and practicing that skill on a worksheet. You go over each element of the trauma piece by piece and try to see it differently. The goal is to change the story you've been telling yourself about what happened. I got in touch with Dr. Deborah Kaysen, a psychologist with a specialty in trauma therapy at the University of Washington School of Medicine. She and I started talking and emailing about CPT. It all seemed so different than the therapy I was used to, my weekly talk sessions. And I realized I wanted to try it. I've done a lot of therapy. After the assault, I had two manic episodes and was diagnosed bipolar. I've always been very open about mental illness. I wrote a book about being bipolar a couple years ago, but even though that book is partly about my adolescence, I barely mentioned the assault. I've never dealt with it. I never wanted to, in the book, in treatment. But now I was feeling the trauma more. I thought CPT might help me. I also thought, What if this could help lots of people? I asked Dr. Kaysen if I could record the sessions and play them on the radio. She checked in with colleagues, a psychologist with an expertise in journalism, a journalism ethics professor, to make sure we'd be able to have a therapeutic relationship while I was simultaneously doing a story about the therapy. After a lot of back and forth and establishing some basic ground rules, we set up our CPT boot camp. Ten hour-long sessions, over two weeks, in Seattle. Usually CPT is one session a week for 12 weeks. But we decided to condense it, and early studies show this approach is effective. I flew out to Seattle. Session one, October 22nd. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. I'm sitting with Dr. Kaysen in a generic room at the university clinic. I fail at setting up the recording equipment a few times before getting it semi-right. I'm not a radio person.
2: So let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to do today. Okay. Okay? So usually today is a little more heavy on the psycho-ed. It's going to be a little different than a lot of our other sessions. I'm going to be talking a lot. Okay. Okay, which takes a little bit
1: of the pressure off of you maybe. Okay. Dr. Kaysen has a kindergarten teacher presence that makes me feel ready and okay. She starts the first session with me the way she would with anyone, by talking about sexual assault and PTSD. 50% of women who are sexually assaulted develop PTSD. That could mean symptoms like depression, anxiety, flashbacks, some of the things I've actually been feeling when I hear the news. Dr. Kaysen hands me a photocopied worksheet. Everything we're going to do, this entire therapy, is structured around these worksheets. I'll do them at my Airbnb, and when Dr. Kaysen and I meet, we'll go over them. Each set of worksheets will cover a new skill, and I'll master that before moving on to the next skill, which Dr. Kaysen will introduce at the end of each session. The idea is, by the time we're done, I'll be able to do this on my own with any issue in my life. Dr. Kaysen explains my first assignment. Most of the worksheets have all sorts of boxes to fill in with answers. They look like badly designed forms you'd get at the DMV. But this first one is just a sheet of paper.
2: What I want you to do is write at least one page on why you think that the sexual assault occurred. I do not want you to use this as an opportunity to write specific details about the event, okay? This is more writing about what you think caused the
1: event. The phrase caused the event makes me uneasy. Because as much as I intellectually believe that nothing specific really caused the event, there are things I still question. It's embarrassing that after 30 years, I still might think it's my fault. But I do. Well, I can tell you that the cause is going to be very hard for me.
2: Yeah. You know, we talked earlier about what are the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. It was this. Mm-hmm. Right? The event happened because I I took a shortcut
1: Mm-hmm. right
2: the event happened because i had a drink the event happened because i was wearing a short skirt and sometimes people know that that's not why it happened but sometimes those thoughts still haunt them
1: mm-hmm.
2: okay there aren't any right or wrong answers i want you to just vomit the ideas on the page
1: that's my specialty awesome
2: I love that you'll do well that's awesome that's what i want okay. all right so Any worries that you have about doing this? Nope.
1: Okay. But of course I'm worried. The thought of reliving the assault is terrifying. Even reading the one-sentence description of the assault during the audio recording of my book left me in tears. I've rarely articulated the details out loud. I just don't know what will come up. I don't know what it's going to be like to dig in for the next two weeks. Session two. So what are you actually doing? Right now? Yeah, I'm totaling it. Can you describe the worksheet actually? Yeah, absolutely, happy to. So this is uh, called the PTSD checklist. Okay.
2: Okay. And all it is is a measure of how intense the
1: symptoms of PTSD are. Dr. Kaysen says we'll start all the sessions like this, going over my PTSD symptoms and reading their intensity. How frequently have I been thinking of the trauma? Have I been dreaming about it, reliving it? In the past 24 hours, How much have I been distressed by repeated, disturbing, and unwanted memories of the traumatic event? Each question gets a numerical value on the scale of 0 to 4. And Dr. Kaysen adds them up.
2: Um, And so what I'll do is I'll actually start graphing these and keeping track of them.
1: I'm not sure how to answer these questions with a number. But I have the same problem when physicians ask me to rate pain on a scale of 1 to 10. You know, in terms of After we go over my PTSD symptoms, Dr. Kaysen will ask me about my mood. Then we'll move on to the homework, which she calls the practice.
2: Most of each session we're going to spend actually reviewing the practice that you did over the day. Okay? Mm-hmm. So for today, what we're going to do is we're going to actually
1: start by going through the impact statement that you wrote. The impact statement, the one page worksheet on why I think the assault happened. I wrote it before sunrise this morning, and it was not surprisingly really hard to write. So I'm gonna have you read to me what you wrote. Okay. Okay. I I was young, 13, and I don't think I I knew much about actual human nature, friendliness, strangers. It's funny to think that I was not cautious about the very thing kids are always warned of, strangers. I walked to my bus stop, alone every morning. It was always early. You're doing great, Jimmy. Just stay with it. (sighs) There weren't many people because it was Los Angeles and no one walks. I used to pass an alley And wave at a man. He was young, maybe late teens, early 20s. Every morning, I'd wave at him. He would walk up the alley, I would cross the alley, or some mornings I would walk down the alley against my mom's instructions. But we'd pass, and I'd always wave or smile, which is how I greeted everyone in the neighborhood. It didn't seem like he should be any different. And in some ways, in retrospect, I feel like I overcompensated and was extra friendly and maybe invited him in. That my wave somehow signaled to him that this was something I wanted, that my friendliness was misinterpreted as desire, that I should have avoided him. rather than interact. I break down, but I keep reading. Even though I'd followed Dr. Kaysen's instructions not to write down specific details of the event just yet, they were all coming back to me anyway. You did an incredible job with that.
2: You did an incredible job.
1: Dr. Kaysen hands me a Kleenex box. Oh, so okay. Problem. I don't need Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm really into this. It's not. I was going to say, <laughs> I find sleeves
2: work fine for me. Um, okay. Um, is it okay with you if I take a look at it? Of course. All right. Um, so one of the things was a piece around your mom's instructions. Is that, and I noticed that those emotions got a little more intense when you got to that.
1: That was something that I didn't actually even remember until I was writing it this morning. We were never really supposed to walk down the alley, even though it was closer to get to the bus stop. I tell Dr. Kaysen more about my mom's rule and how I broke it. She wonders if this might be a stuck point. Stuck points are the first skill introduced in CPT, and they might be the most important skill of all. In a sense, the entire project of CPT is finding stuck points and then learning how to unstick them. A stuck point is basically something you hold to be true, but might in fact not be true. A stuck point is a belief or a thought that's keeping you stuck in the PTSD. Stuck in thinking that it's your fault or that there's something you could have done to avoid it or stuck in any number of upsetting or inaccurate or harmful ways of remembering what happened. They're so central to this process that Dr. Kaysen hands me a worksheet titled Stuck Point Log. Okay.
2: This is going to be a living document that you and I are going to
1: share. We'll keep track of all my stuck points here, adding to the list as we identify new ones each session, and crossing them off as I work through them. So
2: I may, I may be hearing a little bit of a stuck point. Mm -hmm. Maybe around, like, I should have listened to my mom, or if I hadn't gone that way, it wouldn't have happened.
1: I think it's more like if I hadn't waved, it wouldn't have happened. Perfect. Like, that actually feels more like what...
2: um, So write that down. We're going to start keeping track of these as we find them. okay. Okay. So if I hadn't waved, it wouldn't have happened. Okay. All right.
1: Dr. Kaysen asked me what feelings are coming up. I mean, I hear the word shame associated a lot with things like this, and I feel like that would apply, but it doesn't feel like the right word. Okay. Like, it feels more just like I want to just shelter myself, and I want to just cocoon. Okay. I think I also just don't like that word. Hmm. Like, I think that there's something shameful about shame. Like, it's like, I don't know. So
2: I think that's going to
1: be an important one for us
2: to sort out, actually. Because feelings aren't good or bad. Right. Right? Isn't there
1: another word, though? I bristle at the word shame. I always have. There's no room for shame. It sounds weak to me. Like, if you have shame have something to feel shameful about. With shame comes softness and vulnerability and fragility.
2: So you will see these lovely worksheets. These are called ABC sheets,
1: okay? It's the end of the session, and ABC is the new skill. I'm supposed to fill in the A column with the activating event, in my case, the sexual assault. B, with my belief or stuck point about the event. C, with the consequence of that belief or stuck point. It's kind of clunky, but the idea seems to be to get you to see that your stuck points are not rational, and that hanging on to these irrational stuck points has real emotional consequences. That continuing to tell yourself this stuff as fact makes you feel bad. Last thoughts, questions, how did this work for you today? Um good it was intense i mean it was like yeah. it was definitely i feel weirdly better because i feel like we've started we've started all right i'm gonna make a
2: copy of the impact
1: statement so okay. i've got that all right Thanks, session tubes done we're done Session three. So this is hard for me to answer, is the unwanted... I'm sitting with Dr. Kaysen, going over the checklist of my PTSD symptoms. Did I have memories about the assault? Was I dreaming about it? Reliving it? I do feel like I was reliving a little. Um, We finish the checklist and take out the worksheets. I'd done seven the night before. Because I'm doing a crash course in CPT... Each session, each day, covers a week's worth of treatment. It feels like I'm cramming, but Dr. Kaysen tells me she has patients who are still doing worksheets in the waiting room before sessions. That makes me feel a little better. We pick up with the stuck point we started on yesterday. If I hadn't said hi, he wouldn't have assaulted me. Had you interacted with this guy beforehand? It had been several weeks, probably, of saying
2: hi. Okay. And did anything happen on those other days where you said hi?
1: No. Dr. Kaysen has clearly heard similar stuck points. So if She pokes holes in my logic until it's, it's obvious that there's another way to see it. Could he have assaulted you if you had never said hi? Yes. The yeah. likelihood that that was the cause is very small to know. You were a little
2: girl. Right. Right? You were a little girl going to school.
1: Right. But still, I wouldn't have said I was a little girl. Like I felt like I was someone who was able to operate in the world and have conversations and interactions with adults and have responsibility. I associate the words little girl with a kind of unformed, helpless pink thing covered in ruffles. I didn't Um, relate. At 13, I was babysitting. I had crushes and fantasies. I happily went to the movies or thrifting by myself. We move on to another one of the stuck points, which was covering something I hadn't thought about for a long time. What I was wearing on the day of the assault. I wore floral boxers from The Gap and a matching solid colored t-shirt. While doing the worksheets this morning, I realized that some part of me still thought the assault was my fault for wearing men's boxers as shorts. When I tell Dr. Kaysen about this, I mean I tried I liked thinking about what I was wearing yeah. and trying to wear cute things and she assumes that there was some kind of sexiness attached to the outfit for me. But that wasn't it. Or I didn't wear sexy outfits. Like I okay. I have never really worn makeup or been good at that kind of thing. It's just, like, not my... Like, I don't... Not your thing. Yeah. Okay. The outfit wasn't sexy. These were baggy clothes that masked my body. But even as the assault was happening, I remember standing there and thinking it was somehow because of the boxers. I remembered being very like associating the exact outfit exactly with what was happening. I remember that it was because it was an elastic waistband that seemed like it was like there was more access to Mm -hmm. me or that like there was something about the article of clothing and the choice of it that felt
2: like that maybe in some way caused it, even if it wasn't the sexy factor.
1: Right. Okay.
2: Um, So it might not be the sexy factor, but it might be an access factor.
1: Or like inappropriate, like maybe inappropriate clothing. Interesting. Okay. All right. I remember picking out the outfit at The Gap. And I remember putting it in the giveaway pile months later and being asked why I was giving it away since it looked brand new. By the end of the worksheet, my thinking shifts. I articulate my new thought about the boxers. A more balanced thought, Dr. Kaysen calls it.
2: You know, you came up with this really lovely balanced thought, which is it doesn't matter what you wear.
1: How much do you believe that? Um I believe that. I think it can happen to anyone. I mean, I think it's not it has nothing to do with what you're wearing. Yeah. I think that I'm starting to understand Dr. Kaysen's technique with these stuck points. She asks questions so I can arrive at answers myself. My previous belief shifts because I've concluded that it's inaccurate. She's my guide, but I have to come to the conclusion myself. So when you have
2: that thought, it doesn't matter what I wear, what happens to that feeling of shame? I think it shifts
1: to helplessness in some ways.
2: Mm, Interesting. So if it's what I wear, if I change what I wear, I can be safe. Right. If it doesn't matter, then there's nothing I can do.
1: If someone wants to sexually assault you, I think that there's very little you can do. At the end of the session, Dr. Kaysen introduces a skill. All right. So I'm going to
2: teach you something new. Okay.
1: Finding evidence for whether your stuck point is true. She hands me something called the Challenging Questions Worksheet. Okay. The questions are like the ones she asked me during the session. Like, am I looking at this in an exaggerated way? Am I looking at the whole picture? Am I basing things on facts or feelings? My homework tonight is to do seven more worksheets. All right, I'm going to go make you a bunch of copies of that. Okay. And I'm going to push stop.
2: Excellent. Excellent.
1: Session four. So first of all, how was your mood? You know, I don't know how people live in Seattle. It's very (laughs) gray and rainy. Like all morning, I really wanted to take a walk. I'm not used to the gray, damp fog of Seattle. I understand the moodiness of Twin Peaks better and why cardigans were so essential for Kurt Cobain. It doesn't help that the majority of my time is spent alone, Hold up making spaghetti and doing homework. Piles and piles of homework as well. How was the practice? It was harder than mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. practice. Um, I think it's also I'm just so used to knowing what therapy is and it's like a really it's like it's super different.
2: It is super different.
1: Um, and so I guess I feel like a straight A student in English who's taking a chemistry class. Like, I'm in someone else's clothes, yeah. and they, they aren't yeah. quite fitting. You're in a different major right now. Yeah. I take out the worksheets, and we loop back to my stuck point about the boxers. I wondered if it would have been harder for him to assault me if I was wearing jeans. And from what you know about perpetration,
2: um, more difficult, does that mean not possible?
1: No, it's okay. still possible. Yeah,
2: And he had a knife, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we're gonna be working on a skill tomorrow. Um, Looks like you're having some strong feelings as we're working on this one.
1: What's coming up for you right now? Stay with it. I think just thinking about the knife always makes me really emotional. Yeah.
2: So I want you to not try and shut the emotions down, okay? Walk me through how it
1: unfolded. Um, I was walking to school. I walked past the alley. I'm not used to speaking out loud about what happened, but I knew that at some point it would come up. It would all come up. The details, how I felt, what exactly happened in that moment, and what exactly changed. We're nearing the end of our first week together, and I feel like Dr. Kaysen, on purpose or not, has waited until we both felt comfortable. There was trust, the skills of CPT had been discussed, and then this, this story. The main reason I was here in this room, in this city. It was time for it to come out. And He was kind of in this, like, kind of cove, I guess, behind a bush. We lived in a very middle-class area in West Los Angeles. Our apartment was near two big streets, Santa Monica Boulevard and Beverly Glen. There were office buildings nearby and a big mall with a massive food court. My mom's greatest fear in life was that our landlord would sell the duplex, forcing us to leave. It was a place where I knew most of our neighbors. There were always people hanging out in front of their houses. Our across-the-street neighbors were mechanics with a pit bull named Bumper. It was a tree-lined, sun-kissed, America dream neighborhood. That morning, I walked past an alley between an office building and an apartment building. And the guy was there. And he kind of, he like, like I smiled or waved. And then he beckoned me over. I didn't know why. And then I walked over. and. Um, He held a knife to my side, and then he he put his hands down my boxers and felt my vagina. And then I think I said something about, like, protesting, and he said that my father owed him money. And I was like, you don't—there's no way that's true. And then he kept saying, let me just kiss it and put his mouth on my vagina. And then I, like, I screamed, but it wasn't a scream. It was just kind of a vocal articulation. It wasn't particularly loud. And then he ran up the alley the other way. I wish the word vagina didn't feel so clinical, It was more than that. It was like he found a way into my personal sexuality. Like a portal into parts of me I hadn't explored or known because I was so young. Eighth grade. Before it happened, I would daydream about having a first kiss. And then after it happened, I thought I'd never be able to. Like I'd never be able to experience romantic interactions or understand them. Sex, sexual bodies, that shit is hard enough for a 13-year-old.
2: And so in that moment where he had a knife up to you, what did you think was going to happen? Do you remember? I had no
1: idea. I yeah. didn't know. Yeah.
2: You were just super
1: scared. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the reason that I haven't dealt with a lot of it is, like, the outcome wasn't, and I know I've heard this before from other people who have been assaulted, is that the outcome wasn't, like, that bad. I wasn't raped. I wasn't, like, even cut. Like, nothing was physically wrong. Nothing was, like, particularly, like, damaged, I guess, except for, like, psychologically, everything was. Right, And so it's in some ways I think even harder because I felt like it wasn't so bad or I was supposed to think it wasn't so bad. So
2: I'm hearing a stuck point around I shouldn't be distressed or like this wasn't uh, – there's there's almost a, a little bit of a minimizing kind of stuck point. Yeah. what? How would you put it – what would the belief be around that? The because I wasn't raped or because I wasn't cut – I shouldn't have re—I
1: shouldn't have these reactions? I'm not sure exactly what stuck point is. I think because it wasn't worse. Because it wasn't worse, I should be functioning better. I add this to the stuck point log. My experience, by the way, was an outlier in that I was assaulted by a stranger. Sexual assault is usually perpetrated by an acquaintance or family member. Only 7% of juvenile victims who report sexual assault are assaulted by strangers. At the end of the session, Dr. Kaysen introduces the new skill, patterns of problematic thinking, which include things like mind reading and emotional reasoning and exaggerating or minimizing. I'm put off by the language. It's oddly formal. I came in thinking CPT was supposed to be accessible, but it's hard to get a handle on. They use real English words, but not in the dictionary definition way. The phrases have a separate CPT meaning. Do these make sense for the most part for you? Kind of. Okay. Where do you have questions? I guess, what are we doing this for? Mm -hmm. Dr. Kaysen explains that this is part of a process we are in the process of learning, that it will make sense. But I don't see how it's adding up yet. It's just painful and hard. All right, but I'm going to make you another copy of the actual patterns form. Okay. Cool. It's session five. I've made it to Friday of my first week. It feels like a small victory. I'm thinking of the assault constantly. I'm staying in the gentrified industrial neighborhood of Ballard. It's quiet. There are lots of car repair and tire shops and warehouses and expensive microbreweries. Crossing the street, I'm reminded of the alley, locking the doors at night to the Airbnb. I worry about security. I don't know anyone around me, and I feel alone. I don't want to take risks. I don't want to explore Seattle. I won't go for a run. Taking
2: too many risks or doing things that could cause you harm. Zero. Okay. Being super alert or watchful or on guard.
1: Two. Today, after the PTSD checklist, Dr. Kaysen reveals the worksheet that all the worksheets were leading up to this whole time. It is many boxes and tables and questions, 26 in all. It's the mother of all worksheets. It includes all the things I've learned on the worksheets till now. It's intimidating and complicated. But Dr. Kasem reminds me that I know how to do each step. She says now that I have all the skills I need to do CPT, the therapy will shift. But what we're going to
2: be doing from this session on out is we're going to start working with different themes. Mm-hmm. So the first one we're going to focus in on is around Safety. Okay. Okay, so how this event may have affected your ideas about safety.
1: Mm -hmm. We practice a couple stuck points on the Big Mama worksheet. One of them is about how I'm feeling uncomfortable in Seattle. I mentioned that the Dodgers are playing in the World Series, and I'm hesitant to walk the few blocks to the bar at the end of my street. But I really want to watch the game. Dr. Kaysen says that I should consider trying to go to the bar to watch the game that it's actually not risky behavior. Words, She's not a big baseball fan, so I almost feel like the assignment is for both of us. Okay. So. I'm gonna, You know I'm going to ask you on Monday whether you saw the game. Went to it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So in terms of... Uh, and I'll but, ask you if you know what the score was. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> hmm. There are but several I would have games, I would actually. I have to actually...
2: I hate to tell you this, but I'm really treatment-resistant...
1: <laughs> this sounds like a stuck point. <laughs> it could be a stuck point. We could get through the baseball stuck point. At <laughs> point. <laughs> we can work together on this.
2: Absolutely, we'll set it as a long-term treatment goal. Yeah. All right.
1: So, in terms of resolutions, a- as hard as this week has been, it helps that I trust Dr. Kaysen She's a good guide.
0: Jamie Lowe, coming up. If you learn something important about yourself from a worksheet, is it okay to feel resentful that you learned it from a worksheet? That's in a minute from Chicago Public Radio when our program continues. This is American Life from Glass. Today's program, 10 sessions. What can you do with trauma from long ago that's never healed? If you're just tuning in, writer Jamie Lowe heard about a kind of therapy called CPT, Cognitive Processing Therapy that helps people deal with unhealed trauma from sexual assault or combat PTSD incredibly in just 10 or 12 sessions. And she decided to try it herself. We pick up halfway through the therapy.
1: Session six. All right, so
2: so in general, since I last saw you on Friday, how's your mood been?
1: It's Monday, and I've self-cared my way through the weekend, which is another way to say that I went to a handful of vintage clothing stores— I bought a poncho the colors of Mardi Gras. I did not buy the t-shirt that said rain and coffee and salmon and weed. The Dodgers lost the series, but I went to the bar to watch the game. And it was fine. It was actually nice. All right. So do you want to check levels, and then we will delve in? Yeah. Why don't you speak a tiny bit? We check the audio levels. I still have no idea if I'm doing it right. I tell myself, worst case scenario, I won't be able to share the most traumatic moments of my life with millions of people. And that seems like an okay outcome. I take out the Big Mama worksheets I did over the weekend. Each sheet took a lot longer than I expected. Dr. Kaysen picks out a worksheet with the stuck point, I can't protect myself.
2: Okay, I can't protect myself. Oh, good. This is a great one to do also with you going out to the bar too. Yeah. Like, really relevant.
1: Dr. Kaysen pauses. It seems like she's seeing a stuck point in the stuck point, which happens a lot. Russian dolls of stuck points.
2: Let me ask you a question also. There's another piece here. Are you different now than you were then?
1: Yeah. How so? I'm older. I know more. I've learned from that experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... This reminds me of that song in Into the Woods, the musical, Uh, the Little Red Riding Hood song, Yep, which is basically all about sexual trauma. There's a song from Stephen Sondheim's musical Into the Woods that I used to listen to over and over after the attack. The wolf beckons Little Red Riding Hood. She strays from the path, and then she sings... He drew me close and he swallowed me down down a dark slimy path where lie secrets that I never want to know and when everything familiar seemed to disappear forever I mean those lyrics described how I felt in the aftermath of the assault to a tee that everything familiar seemed to disappear forever Dr. Kaysen and I walk through the worksheet, step-by-step through all the prompts and questions CPT relies on, whether there's evidence for my stuck point, whether I'm making an all-or-nothing statement, whether I'm jumping to conclusions, what I'm leaving out. I realize that I still feel angry with myself for freezing, that I didn't scream sooner, hit him, run, or defend myself. Dr. Kaysen reminds me that he had a knife.
2: If somebody's got a weapon, sometimes freezing is the best response in that moment.
1: Or the only response. Mm -hmm. We continue going through it, and eventually I reach a more balanced thought.
2: Good. I did what I could to protect myself from physical harm. Absolutely. That's beautiful that you came up with that.
1: The Big Mama worksheets ask for percentages related to how much you feel things and to how much you believe certain thoughts. Most of the At the beginning time. of this worksheet, I believed I can't protect myself yes. 70%. I wouldn't be wearing gloves. By the end, but I'm in a different that's place. That's huge. And so you managed to get that from 70% to 20%.
2: That's some really nice movement around that.
1: Yeah. I don't fully understand the percentages, but I, do, I did feel better yeah. after working through it.
2: Nice. And fear came down, anger came down, and frustration came down. Nice. That's lovely. And you've also got some other balanced thoughts in here, too. Like, right, I can protect myself most of the time. Yeah. And you can think about how does that feel versus I can't protect
1: myself at all. Yeah. Right.
2: Beautiful job with that.
1: Suddenly, I'm getting the worksheets. They're still difficult because thinking is difficult. But that night, I find that doing them is calming and clear. The next day, in session seven, I tell Dr. Kaysen that there's something about the writing that's really key. And so when I'm writing it down, I'm just seeing that even just subtle shifts are really different when you write it. That's right. I can see the beginning point, and then I see the end, and I'm just like, like, it's like your forehead slapping. You're just like, oh, yeah, that starting point was really off. Like, that's not a rational way to think. Right.
2: But I love what I'm hearing you say is also you're really seeing some cognitive shifts with doing these. So it's hard work, but you're also seeing some payout.
1: Yeah. I think I'm also a little resentful that it's just coming from a worksheet. I'm serious. Like, there's something like... Because it's like... It's like... um, I can't describe it, but it's sort of like... uh, Okay, I think I can describe it. It's like I think that in, like, talk therapy or traditional analysis... It's so individualized, it's so cocooned, it's so specified to your relationship with one person and that space and that time. Yeah. And it's it's very much like a special thing. Whereas a worksheet, um, it's an equation. And so it's more generic, which actually makes it way better in a lot of ways. But also
2: hard because it feels less special.
1: Right, but also kind of like not this precious thing. You're special, and your problems are special. Huh? It's interesting. I like that so the goal the of CPT is to have the tools to be your own, own therapist. therapist. Several CPT experts told me their role as clinicians was to put themselves out of business. I'm not sure that's true of talk therapy. For me, anyway. I don't set an end goal. With CPT, I have. I know exactly what I want to work on, and I'm drilling down on that one thing. I'm dealing with the aftereffects of sexual assault. And I have a list of stuck points to show for it. 31 different sentences written sloppily on a piece of paper, like a list of groceries. Dr. Kaysen asks me if I've crossed any off. I crossed off a bunch that I just weren't, didn't think were stuck points in the first place. And then I crossed off some that I felt like we worked through. That's fantastic. Yeah. If I hadn't said hi, he wouldn't have assaulted me. Done with That's that. Huge. I can't trust my judgment. Crossed off. Because it wasn't worse, I should be functioning better. Gone. Yeah, I think so. I've been working so hard to learn the process of CPT that I didn't realize how much I'd resolved along the way. I leave the session feeling a sense of accomplishment. I love making lists, I love crossing things off my lists. This is starting to feel satisfying. You check my levels, and I check you can check my levels. Yeah. Okay. It's session eight, and Dr. Kaysen and I are making levels jokes. I'll check the level of her volume, and she'll check the levels of my PTSD symptoms.
2: So, since yesterday, how much have you been distressed by repeated, disturbing, and unwanted memories of the traumatic event?
1: Two, uh, one. Okay. Probably one. Uh, Dr. Kaysen and I are starting to get into a nice, comfortable rhythm. And of course, there's only three sessions left, including this one. It's Halloween, and she's got on themed earrings and spider web tights. In another setting, I might find this kind of ridiculous. But I know her enough to know it's genuine and wonderful. And I feel sad I'm not dressed up, too. We go through my Big Mama worksheets. Just as Dr. Kaysen said we would, we've been using the big worksheets to explore big themes. We've gone through safety and esteem... Today is control. And one of my stuck points is, when I'm not in control, bad things will happen. Which I believe 80%. So,
2: what evidence do you have that if you are not in control, bad things will happen?
1: Um, Bad things have happened when I haven't been in control. Okay.
2: So, so you could say things in the past. Okay. Okay. Um, so, I'm assuming, like, the sexual assault, events that happened when you were manic...
1: Okay. When Dr. Kaysen asks about mania, I pause. Just sit there for a while. Then I nod without saying anything. Control is a big thing for me. It's a big thing in mania. Yeah, so You're not in control, you but you think you are. Control, right? You're relaxing. Dr. Kaysen and I keep going through the sheet. My statement, when I'm not in control, bad things will happen. Okay. Is there evidence it might not be true?
2: So bad things can happen when... I'm in control. When you are in control. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and have you ever been out of control and not had something bad happen?
1: Yeah. We go over my answers to each of the little boxes on the worksheet. By the end, I have a new thought. Giving up control does not always mean bad things will happen. Dr. Kison asks, What feelings come up when I'm thinking about giving up control? Fear is the first one. And then... There's definitely a lot of guilt and shame. Yeah. So I've really I, come around to the shame concept. Yeah, you really, you've really em- <laughs> been... I'm really embracing it. <laughs> yeah, you have. That's true. That is true. We're joking, um, so then, but there's something there. Yeah. What are the points I'm the realizing case? that for me, shame happen. is related to mental illness. Okay, right, After mania, it's hard not to want to be buried for a decade until everyone forgets that you tried to start a hippie cult in a tutu covered in glitter and war paint. Today at the end of the session, my homework is a little different.
2: And then I want you to practice giving one compliment and receiving one compliment.
1: I don't really speak to people that uh, much. Yeah,
2: now I know. So it would mean you'd have to speak to people.
1: Give one compliment. And, and
2: receive one compliment. How do compliment. I make
1: someone compliment me?
2: So that's tough because you're in a strange city. Yeah. Um... So what it's going to mean is a couple of things. Either you're going to need to listen for compliments you're getting naturally without filtering them. Okay. Or sometimes if you're interacting with people, then you may be more likely to get
1: compliments. This is the point of the exercise. Dr. Kaysen is preparing me for life post-treatment by encouraging me to interact with people. She explains that social isolation often follows PTSD. Session nine. All right, well, let's dig into how the practice went.
2: Before we go into worksheets, how did the giving and receiving compliments go?
1: Yesterday, when Dr. Kaysen gave me the compliment assignment, it seemed difficult and silly. It felt like I entered Mr. Rogers' land. And even though I know he was a good soul, I was always a Muppets show person. I wasn't entirely sure how to conjure up compliments. As I anticipated, giving compliments was pretty easy. I tell Dr. Kaysen that I told my Airbnb guy I liked his record collection and his illustrations. Yeah, nice. Did you get any compliments? I did. It was really funny, actually. (laughs) Um, I got a very, a really, really, really big compliment to me. Yeah. Um, I pause. I'm choking up. (laughs) Someone wrote me an email. (laughs) Just about my book. About my book, Mental. The memoir I wrote about being bipolar. The email was from a young woman who was also bipolar. She had to leave college and go home and kind of really shift her plans. And she said that she really felt like... The story that I told was something that she had never read but could really relate to. It was a really big compliment. That's powerful. We'd been talking in a previous session about my feelings of being a failure, of not doing well at my work. Dr. Kaysen wants me to remember this email. I can try and remember it. (laughs) It's hard. It's really hard for me to remember the positive Yeah responses like to anything
2: yeah and so this is one for you to practice right this is so we're starting to move into like life skills right yeah this is one that's going to be a life skill for you what am i leaving out that's been a really helpful question for you right it it forces you to get out of that negative space and look for things that don't fit with the stuck point
1: This is the next-to-last session, and I can feel we're coming to the end. The way Dr. Kaysen is talking and the way I'm feeling, it just feels close to over. And then my last homework assignment is revealed.
2: Um, I want you to write at least one page on what you think now about why the traumatic event occurred. Okay.
1: Okay. It makes sense. If one purpose of this therapy is to change the story you're telling yourself, it would be a good gauge to write a before and after to see how the narrative shifts. The perfect book ends.
2: Session 10. Um, How was it writing the second impact statement?
1: It was good. I felt like it was less um, fraught. It's the day of my last session, and it's like Seattle knows it. This morning, I rode the ferry and saw a double rainbow. I walked around Bainbridge Island with a friend and saw sun. Real sun through trees and abandoned mills. Sun shining against the sound and against graffiti and against soaring seagulls. Sun that reflected on a sign for Bernie's automotive service that read, Welcome to the team, Charlie. It all looked shining and miraculous. I could feel the excitement of being done, and the Pacific Northwest felt it with me. Writing the second impact statement was easier than writing the first one. I didn't feel pent-up emotions spilling yeah, over. Like I didn't feel out of control. Nice. So I'm going to have you read it to me. Okay. Uh, The attack happened because who knows why it happened. I don't know why he molested me. I don't know what motivated him. I know that it didn't happen because I was there or wearing boxers or friendly or willing it upon myself. I was young and walking to school, not looking for sexual assault. That's pretty improbable. Why would anyone look for that? I think it happened because... I just really can't explain why. He was in control. He had a knife. I did everything I could to protect myself and to get away. My feelings after it happened were natural. My response was as good as it could be. Good is the wrong word, but I think I did okay considering all of the circumstances. Other people. I keep going, and when I get to the end, Dr. Kaysen reads back what I wrote after our first session, my original impact statement.
2: So let me read back to you what you wrote the first time.
1: Okay.
2: I was young, 13, and I don't think I knew much about actual human nature, friendliness, strangers. It's funny to think that I was not cautious about the very thing kids are always warned of, strangers. I walked to my bus stop alone every morning.
1: Dr. Kaysen keeps reading, and I can hear how my story has changed. So what changes do you hear? Well, I think there's a huge shift of focus. Now it feels like there's just a different way of seeing it. Right. Like that attack just doesn't feel as potent, I think. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's what I heard too. And, and also really an acceptance that you may never know. In fact, you probably will never know exactly why it happened. But you can be really confident that it didn't have anything to do with you.
1: right which is something that I do think I intellectually understood, but it wasn't something I accepted, I don't think. And I think that in the difference between the first statement to the last, there was acceptance in that. Acceptance that it wasn't me, that it wasn't my fault. Dr. Kaysen hands me a printout of the PTSD check-ins that we did at the beginning of each session. By the end, my number has dropped from the initial total by about 12 points. She says 10 points indicates meaningful change. The number doesn't mean that much to me. But I do feel better. I know that. She wonders how I feel about the therapy overall.
2: What did you notice in the process? What was helpful for you? What was not helpful?
1: How have you seen shifts? Well, I've definitely seen... I mean, I think working through all of the stuff about the assault was incredibly helpful. Because I felt like there was a lot of unresolved assumptions that I didn't really even recognize were there. And that, it was, frankly, kind of a relief to not really have that there as much. Like, Mm -hmm. it just kind of feels better. Mm -hmm. The process of Um, CPT surprised me. Its effectiveness surprised me. I I could see in just those two statements how the 10 sessions in between shifted my thinking. This is like ninja therapy. They distract you with the weird language, and then progress creeps up on you from behind. As always, Dr. Kaysen is huggable, gracious, warm. I'm going to miss her. I'm sad to leave, even though I know it's time, and I know I can. Is that it? That's it, That's the end? The end. (laughs) All right. It's been 10 months since I did CPT. I still have my folder stuffed with more than 100 worksheets. The spine is reinforced with neon orange duct tape because the folder is falling apart. But I'm not. I feel like I did, in fact, get something I wanted out of this, more than what I expected. I don't feel as hopeless and incapacitated when I hear about other assaults. The news doesn't dictate my emotional state in the same way. When Jeffrey Epstein was found dead, I was angry on behalf of his victims. I shouted a few expletives and threw my phone on the ground, but I could still function. And really, that's a very rational reaction. Before CPT, I had a lot of anxiety and overwhelming feelings. I was experiencing PTSD symptoms, which I didn't even realize. I had my suspicions that these intense emotions were related to the assault, but it was never named for me. Now my symptoms are mostly gone. And when problems come up, I can work them through in my head or I pull out a blank worksheet. There's a surge of women seeking help right now. A national sexual assault hotline saw a 200% increase over normal volume after the Kavanaugh hearing. There was a 20% increase in calls after the R. Kelly doc aired. After the sentencing hearing of Larry Nasser, calls to the same hotline increased by 46%. Of course, so many survivors of sexual assault don't get any treatment at all. Not talk therapy, not CPT, nothing. When I started CPT, it was hard to say I'd been sexually assaulted out loud. I think I carried a lot of shame the word I was most offended by. But now I can say it, and I can say it without crying. I was sexually assaulted when I was 13.
0: Jamie Lowe. She's the author of a memoir called Mental. Just a month after she saw Dr. Deborah Kason, Dr. Kaysen moved from the University of Washington to Stanford. It's now been a couple years since Jamie did those 10 sessions. She did them back in 2018. She says this last year, she got COVID, she experienced relationship ups and downs, and at one point had bed bugs. But she said the CPT worksheets made everything a little easier to deal with. Why would I spend the rest of my days unhappy?
2: Why would I spend the rest of this year
0: alone
2: When I can go therapy, when I can go therapy, when I can go therapy
0: times a day. Our program was produced today by Susan Burton. People who put together today's show includes Bim Adelunmi, the Baker, Ben Calhoun, Zoe Chase, Dana Chivas, John Cole, Whitney Dangerfield, Neil Drumming, Damian Grave, Michelle Harris, Jessica Lassenhop, Stone Nelson, Catherine Raimondo, Alyssa Shipp, Lily Sullivan, Christopher Switala, and Matt Tierney. Our managing editor for today's show is Diane Wu. Our executive editor for today's show is David Kestenbaum. Additional production for this rerun from Nora Gill. Special thanks today to Emily Dworkin, Patricia Rezek, Henry Schwartz, and Sean Bishop. Original music for today's show by Daniel Hart. Our website, thisamericanlife.org, where you can stream our archive of over 700 episodes for absolutely free. Also, there's videos and tons of other stuff there, too. Thisamericanlife.org. This American Life was delivered to public radio stations by PRX, the public radio exchange. Thanks, as always, to our program's co-founder, Mr. Tony Maritia. He took some ayahuasca before painting his own apartment. Not a good idea. He was getting the primer ready, and he said one of the walls started talking to him. It said,
2: I hate to tell you this, but I'm really treatment resistant.
0: I'm Ira Glass. Back next week with more stories of This American Life.